Hey friends, Pastor Matt Summerfield from Zeo Church here and really pleased to share with you the last part eight in our Moments with God series mapped against the prayer course where we've been thinking about how we grow closer to God in intimacy and worship and prayer and it's been a fantastic series and we're finishing off looking at the subject of spiritual warfare because there are big questions that we have about life. I think the most common question that people generally ask when they're thinking about faith and God is, if God is loved, why is there so much suffering in the world? What is God doing about it? And uh, I'd encourage you to listen to the short message that I shared on Sunday that starts to introduce some thoughts on that. But today I'm going to dig a little bit deeper because we all know that in life we go through tough times. There's not a single one of us who escapes suffering and struggle. And around 2,000 years ago, the Apostle Paul, the writer of most of the New Testament, wrote a letter to a group of churches in and around Ephesus whilst he was imprisoned. And if you look at the book of Ephesians, you'll discover that it's divided into three parts. And so in Ephesians chapter 1 through to chapter 4 verse 16, Paul tells us what we need to believe as the people of God that our self-worth, significance and security is found in a relationship with God through Jesus. And then in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 17 through to chapter 6 verse 9, Paul challenges us about how we should behave in the light of what we believe, that we should live like Jesus in the world, lives of forgiveness and kindness and love and generosity. And then to wrap up his, his letter from verses 10 onwards in chapter 9, Paul shares one more thing that he really wants the people of God to understand in the light of what they believe and behave. And he wants them to understand that there is a battle that they should expect that sometimes life is tough. And actually it's tough for some very, very good reasons. And so we're going to look at what Paul says from Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, right through to verse 20. And essentially, we're going to explore three things that Paul is saying. Number one, we need to wise up to what's really going on. Then number two, we need to gear up to what's going on. And then thirdly, we need to pray up to what's going on. So let's look at that first uh, point wise up and we're going to look at these first three verses from verse 10 to 12 of Ephesians 6. Paul says this, a final word, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you'll be able to stand firm against the strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. And so Paul is saying here, listen, it's time to wise up to what's really going on. If you are a follower of Jesus, then you need to recognize that you do have an enemy and you are engaged in a real cosmic spiritual battle. There's a great quote from the brilliant film, The Usual Suspect, some years back, where one of the lead characters says this, the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world that he did not exist. And see, the problem is today that historic paintings and cartoon images and many horror films have created some kind of caricature that simply renders Satan as a fictional character. 
Like we've seen so many films about the battle between good and evil, and it all seems like mythology. You've got Luke Skywalker and Darth Vader, Harry Potter versus Voldemort, Frodo versus Saruman. And all these mythological stories make it seem like if you just add God versus Satan, then it's simply another fictional story amongst many. But I'd suggest that the very fact that these mythological stories exist point to the fact that deep down something within the human spirit knows there's more to this world than what we see. Good and evil are real. God is the source of all that's good and Satan is the source of all that is evil. And so from Genesis to Revelation, the first book in the Bible to the last book in the Bible, and much of the teachings and miracles of Jesus, we are repeatedly reminded that there is a war that rages between the forces of good and evil and that war is real. In fact, Revelation chapter 12, verse 7 to 9 tells us that Satan is a fallen angel thrown out of heaven with legions of angels because of waging a pride-filled war against God. The devil, Satan, Lucifer, whatever you want to call him, he hates God and therefore he hates all that God has created. And so Revelation 12 verse 12 tells us that he is filled with fury. And Jesus reminds us in John 10, 10 that his agenda is to kill and steal and destroy everything in God's creation. And of course, whilst we don't want to give Satan any credit today, Paul wants us to recognize that he is powerful. He is a formidable foe. In fact, numerous times Jesus called Satan the ruler, the commander of chief and chief of this world. And so in Ephesians 6, verse 10 to 12, Paul is saying, listen, wise up. There's a war going on. There's a cosmic spiritual battle that's taking place every moment of every day. And when Paul lists out these different descriptions of rulers and authorities and cosmic powers and spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places, it's not so much to establish different classes of demonic power, although that may be true, but it's more true to say that he's trying to help us to understand the full extent of Satan's war machine. Like, wise up to what's really happening. Satan and the forces of evil are unrelenting in their mission to destroy all of good's creation. So, so when we ask why do bad things happen to good people, like why ultimately is there suffering and struggle and pain, and sickness, brokenness, poverty, homelessness, famine, human tracking, trafficking, divorce, death, and so on and so on and so on, like why? And the, the Bible answer to that is, look, wake up, you are engaged in a battle, and in a battle there are casualties, there's suffering, there's struggle, there is death, there is evil, and we are in that war. Author Greg Boyd in his book, God of War, says this, that the, the biblical authors never pondered why bad things happened to good people, for they lived with a warfare worldview that expected bad things to happen to good people. Like If the world is as thoroughly saturated with evil forces as they envisioned, envisioned, then nightmarish suffering would not come as a great surprise. And they understood that because Jesus taught that, if the Lord of all creation, i.e. Jesus himself, suffered at the hands of those evil forces, they could hardly expect to fare any better. The New Testament tells us that good people expect bad things. That's what Greg Boyd said. Now listen, at this point you might be feeling a little depressed or confused. You might be thinking, but I thought all the powers of darkness were ultimately defeated on the cross. That's why Jesus came. Has Jesus won the victory or not? Is God all-powerful or not? And that is a great question. 
And I think it's helpful to understand the answer this way. Think of the metaphor of this, that it's like the difference between D-Day and VE Day. Now, um, earlier this year, we remembered a couple of weeks um, uh, right back in June, June the 6th, 1944, where over 150,000 Allied troops landed on the coast of France, fighting a brutal long battle on the beaches of Normandy. And despite 9,000 soldiers being killed in this battle, the Allied troops ultimately won, and so began their campaign of liberating France and defeating the German war machine. We call it D-Day. It's the day that historians tell us was the turning point of World War II, the day when the battle was won, the, the defeat of Germany was inevitable. But the actual end of World War II is not marked until 11 months later, May the 8th, 1945, which we call VE Day, the day when the Germans finally admitted defeat and that the war was finally over. So we have D-Day, this definitive moment in history, which marked the certainty of the end of the war. But there was 11 more months of suffering and struggle and death as the skirmishes continued until the inevitable victory day finally happened. As Christians, we believe 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, was crucified. And in that moment, all of the sin, which is our rejection of God, the sickness, suffering, death, and even hell itself was placed on him in a way that is hard for us to understand. And, and so it's no surprise that he died on the cross. But three days later, to prove that he was God and to prove that he could defeat those things, Jesus rose from the dead. The tomb was and is empty and it became the ultimate turning point in human history. The real D-Day, if you will. And so where Jesus took on the power of sin and he broke it, he took on the power of death and he overcame it and he took on the power of Satan and he rose above it. And so the scriptures tell us that D-Day has happened, the cross is our D-Day, that the moment when, because of Jesus' death and resurrection, the enemy is ultimately going to be completely defeated, V-Day is inevitably coming. And Revelation 20 promises us that a day is coming where God will utterly destroy all the forces of evil, all of the workers and works of Satan and Satan himself, definitively defeated, never to be heard of again. And once God has rid the whole cosmos of evil once and for all, Revelation 21 promises that God will make a brand new heaven and earth and there'll be no more tears, no more pain, no more sadness, no more death, and that those who embrace God in this life will live with him forever in that new life and creation. The death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ is like D-Day and the promised new creation is our V-Day. And in between the two, like in the Second World War, the battle continues, the struggle continues. And why? Because although the enemy, like the German war machine, knew that the defeat was inevitable, they would not give up easily and Satan won't give up easily. And so until his final day, he'll do everything his, he can to kill and steal and destroy. And so that's what Paul is talking about in Ephesians 6, verse 10 to 12, he says, we need to wise up to what's going on. And in light of this truth, Paul says in 
Ephesians 6, 11, that you're not supposed to be passive spectators. You're supposed to be joining Jesus as he stands against the forces of evil in the world. Like this Greek word used here for stand against is a military term. It means to resist the enemy, to hold your position, to never surrender. It's that sense of I'm not giving up and I'm not going back. It's about saying like I'm not a civilian in this war. I'm a soldier. I'm joining God in his daily battle to defeat the works of the enemy. To see God's kingdom come and God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Because there are places where God's kingdom has not come and God's will is not being done on the earth as it is in heaven and so I'm a soldier in this battle in this war and, and so if you're going to stand strong against the word of this work of the enemy in the in the world and in our lives then we're going to need to secondly gear up you need to be armed you need to be armored which is what Paul then speaks about in Ephesians 6 verses 13 to 17 we need to gear up this is what he says Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so that you'll be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you'll be standing firm. Stand with your feet. Uh, stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you'll be fully prepared. In addition to all of these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. And put on salvation as your helmet and take the word sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So in these verses, Paul tells us to put on every piece of God's armor. Now, when you looked at a soldier's armor, it would tell you two things. Firstly, it would tell you how well they were going to be able to defend themselves and attack others. And secondly, like the color and the design of a football shirt, the armor would tell you whose side they were on. Who are you working for? So like every day from the moment you wake up, you have a choice as to whose armor you're going to wear. You can put on the armor of the Lord or you can put on the armor of the enemy, like both have an armor. The armor represents the kind of life that you're going to live. And the difference is that the armor of the Lord brings life and the armor of the enemy brings death. Now, we can't blame Satan for every bad decision we make. We can choose to cooperate with him or be employed by him. But the devil made me do it is not an excuse that's going to cut it. We as followers of Jesus need to decide every day to put on the armor of God. That we have this resolve, I'm, I'm going to be employed by Jesus Christ. I'm a soldier in his army. I'm joining him in bringing down the works of darkness in the world. I refuse to cooperate with Satan's evil, destructive schemes. And so if you're going to be a soldier in this war against the enemy, then you need to embrace what Paul calls the belt of truth. The belt, truth, it holds everything together. In John 8 verse 44, Jesus tells us that Satan is the father of lies and he wants you to believe a lie, tell lies and live lies. And so whenever you refuse to believe a lie, whenever you refuse to tell a lie and whenever you refuse to live a lie, then you win a battle against the enemy. If you're going to be a soldier in this war against the enemy, then you will embrace what Paul says is the breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate protects the vital organs of the soldier, particularly the heart. 
So Satan wants to corrupt your heart. He wants to make you hard-hearted, uncaring, unkind, unloving. He wants to lock you up in selfishness and self-centeredness. But whenever you're joyful and loving and peaceful and patient and good and kind and gentle and self-controlled and faithful, then you win a battle against the enemy. Whenever Satan comes up to you and accuses you of being a rubbish Christian, whenever he tells you that you'll never make it to heaven and that God doesn't even like you, let alone love you, you can respond by telling him that the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ means that you have a right standing, a right relationship, a righteousness before God, and that he's your heavenly dad, and nothing, nothing, absolutely nothing will ever separate you from his love. When you live that, when you say that, you win a battle against the enemy. If you're going to be a soldier in this war against the enemy, then Paul says, we need to put on the shoes of the gospel of peace. Satan wants to stop you from sharing your faith with other people. He doesn't want anyone else to know the healing and wholeness of Jesus Christ. But every time you speak out the name of Jesus, every time you tell others about the difference Christ has made in your life, every time you go where Christ would have you go, say what Christ would have you say, do what Christ would have you do, every time you become a good news person, you win a battle against the enemy. If you're going to be a soldier in this war against the enemy, then you will embrace as what Paul calls the helmet of salvation. Like Satan wants to fill our minds with wrong thoughts, unhelpful images, raging doubts, depraved lusts. But whenever we turn off the TV, shut down our computer, stop reading that article, walk away from toxic conversations, whenever we reject every wrong, destructive thought that Satan throws our way, every time we fill our minds with God's truth, every time we invite the Holy Spirit to renew and clean and heal our minds, we win a battle against the enemy. Penultimately, Paul says, if you're going to be a soldier in the war against the enemy, then you're going to embrace the shield of faith. Satan wants to cause you to fall and fail. He wants to take you down. But whenever you remember that greater is he that's in you than he that is in the world, whenever you remember that faith the size of mustard seed can move mountains, whenever you remember that at the very name of Jesus Christ, the demonic realm has to flee, Remember, whenever you remember that if God is for you, then no one can be against you. Whenever you remember that you, that you are more than a conqueror through Jesus Christ and that no single weapon of the enemy will prosper against you. Whenever you hold on to God by faith, despite what you see or feel or think or have been told, you win a battle against the enemy. And then finally in this gear up, Paul says that if you're going to be a soldier in the war against the enemy, you'll embrace the sword of the spirit. And the sword is the word of God and the spirit of God brings the word alive. Satan wants you to ignore your Bibles. He wants your Bible to get dusty on the shelf. He'd rather you spend hours watching TV, reading Twitter or social media feeds, looking at Facebook, because he knows that when the spirit of God that's in you connects with the word of God in the Bible, then he's in trouble. 
So every time you open up the Bible, every time you say to God, speak to me, lead me, guide me through your word. Hide your word in my heart, Lord, that I won't sin against you. For your word is a lamp to my feet and a light unto my path. Your word is alive and powerful and exposes and challenges my innermost thoughts and desires. Whenever you embrace the word of God, you win a battle against the enemy. So Paul says to us, number one, wise up, there's a war going on. But secondly, gear up for the battle, be armed and armoured and live Holy Spirit empowered lives. And then finally, he tells them to pray up. Ephesians chapter six, verse 18 to 20. He says this, pray in the spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. And pray for me too. Ask God to give me the right words so that I can boldly explain God's mysterious plan that the good news is for Jews and Gentiles alike. I'm in chains now, still preaching this message as God's ambassador. I pray that I will keep on speaking boldly for him as I should. Friends, you know that prayer is powerful. It's a mystery. It's perplexing. We don't understand how it works sometimes, but it is powerful when something in the deepest part of you connects with something in the very deepest part of God, because that's what prayer is and that's what prayer does. And Satan will do all that he can to stop the people of God from praying, both in our personal lives, but coming together to pray. The army of the church doesn't march on its stomach, it marches on its knees in prayer. Prayer is the powerhouse, the engine room of your life and of the church. Author Leonard Ravenhill once said this, let the fires go out in the boiler room of the church and the place will still look smart and clean, but it will be cold. And the prayer room is the boiler for its spiritual life. Paul says, let prayer be a lifestyle, not an event. He says, pray all different kinds of prayers and in different ways, silent prayers, loud prayers, written prayers, sung prayers, tear-stained prayers, joy-filled prayers, scripture-inspired prayers, persistent, persevering prayers. And pray for yourself, pray for your family, for your friends, for your neighbours, pray for your enemies and for your church and for your workplace, for your town, for your government, for your nation, pray for your world. Never stop praying because it releases the power of God to you and through you. And notice, by the way, that Paul didn't even ask the Ephesians to pray that his chains would be removed. He asked that he would continue to speak fearlessly for Christ, even as he wore his chains. So what have we said? Wise up to what's really going on. There is a spiritual battle raging every day between the D-Day of the cross and the V-Day of God's new creation. Gear up for what's really going on. Put on the full armour of God. Live as a soldier of Jesus Christ in God's power and in God's strength, pushing back the darkness, seeing the kingdom of God invade and destroy the works of the enemy. And pray up. Pray into what's really going on. Pray and keep on praying. Never give up. Never surrender. And never, ever stop.
and do all this knowing that with God you will not fail ultimately, you will not fall ultimately because Paul says, and he says it four times, if you hold on to God in the fiercest of battles, in the fiercest of struggles, you will stand. You will stand. Dear friend, my prayer for you, my prayer for you, is that you will not lose hope in the face of this battle. That you will not lose confidence in the face of the struggle. That you will become more aware there's a battle going on, but we don't fear it because God is with us and for us and loves us and can help us overcome as we put on the life of Jesus, as we gear up in the armour of God and we surrender every day Fill me with your spirit, God. Change me and transform me. Help me to keep on and to win for you in the world. And even when I lose, and even when I feel like a casualty at times, patch me up, stand me on my feet again so I can keep going until that great day when all the suffering will come to an end once and for all. What a day that will be. God bless you. Keep going, keep growing, never give up, never quit. You're on the right side.